may be seated. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 15, verses 33 through 39. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lamech, Sakbinthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. Again, we welcome everyone to the Good Shepherd family this morning, whether you're here in the house or online. So let's take a moment this morning to to wave at folks so that we make that family connection and know that all who are here, whether it's your first time or your 3,000th time, you are all family here at Good Shepherd. I'm Pastor Regina, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you this morning. As soon as we are alone inner chaos opens up. The theologian Henry Nouwen is is, uh, attributed with this quote, We all have a public self and a private self. Rich Villados, in his book Good and Beautiful and Kind, references our false self versus our true self. Our false self becomes the one who tries to present to the world a strong, unshakable individual who at times tries to play God. Our true self is the one who we know is vulnerable and broken and in need of God. Our true self is the one we find when we are alone and willing to face our inner chaos. Our true self is the one when we encounter God who discovers eternal truth about ourselves and about the circumstances of life. It is the true self of the centurion that after participating in and witnessing Christ's crucifixions, utter those words, truly, this man was the Son of God. Today's encounter with the centurion and Jesus will help us see our true selves in relation to our faith and our journey to the empty tomb. Since Ash Wednesday, we have traveled the dusty road leading to Calvary. We have met folks along the way who at first glance appear to be insignificant but upon closer look, contribute significantly to the Easter story. We are beginning to understand that their contributions have great importance as it leads up to the resurrection. Our observation of the scenery around us and the participation in the events we encounter along the way will contribute to enhance our experience of the resurrection when we arrive at the empty tomb. Simon the leper who hosted a meal and the sinful woman who anointed Jesus with that expensive oil demonstrated that everyone has a lesson to teach. As Jesus looked beyond the surface of events and the people, he recognized the true significance of each. We learned that actions done in love are never insignificant. We came to understand that broken individuals can be redeemed 
that God welcomes all people no matter the diseases or life circumstances and that God's desire, to, God's desire is to claim all persons as God's children. The high priest Malchus, a servant Malchus, taught us our restoration, humility, and in a sense of purpose. We discovered that our woundedness, we can be redirected and healed by just simply by the touch of Jesus. We learn that reaction or retaliation does not help circumstances or situations. Disarming with love and living for a greater purpose enables us to become empathetic with the victimizer and not to take on the role of the victim. Forgiveness and surrender lead us ultimately to realize that God is present in our suffering, even when we doubt God's presence. We are reminded how much we are loved and healed by God. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, the two great pretenders, taught us that power, prestige, and wealth are not the greatest characteristics to our identity. Taking a risk when things uh, get tough demonstrates a greater courage than living double lives. Risking it all uh, has its great rewards when choosing to do the right thing. From Nick and Joe, we learn that authentic followers of Jesus break with the past, display great courage, live a public faith, invest in what they believe and expect to sacrifice. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea remind us that pretenders, fakes, frauds, and failures all have are welcome at the open and empty tomb. God is not a pretender. And our hope is that others see Jesus living in us. Last week's encounter with Barabbas, Pilate, and Jesus showed us the true meaning of freedom. Barabbas, although no longer incarcerated, was still bound by his past identity and mistakes. Pilate was held captive by fear, selfishness, the need to, to please others, and his denial of responsibility for Jesus' death. Both men were imprisoned by outside forces which blocked their freedom. Jesus was the only one in this encounter who, were, who was free, even though the world's standards taught him that he was, or showed that he was the one that was confined. Jesus was free because he acted according to the will of God. His security laid in the knowledge of who he was and to whom he belonged. Through this great exchange of Jesus for Barabbas, we discovered that we are both Pilate and Barabbas. We learn that true freedom comes not from our circumstances or position, but from how we respond to those circumstances and position. We came to understand that if we are in tune with our true selves, if we know who we are, whose we are, and we focus on loving God and others, our freedom comes from within and not from the opinions and conditions of the outside world. Now today we meet this centurion, the man who at the foot of the cross where Jesus gave his life for each of us. Two worlds in which the centurion lived were about to collide in a way that no one could predict. The centurion was good at his job. He could remove himself from the torture and pain he inflicted on the accused. He had performed so many executions that he had hardened himself to the reactions of the convicted. He had ignored the pleas for mercy, bargaining for life, threats and strong resistance from the prisoner. He could perform his duties and not allow his emotions to override, override his ability to do his job. That was until, until he met Jesus. 
Jesus was not your average prisoner. There was no resistance. There were no threats. There was no begging or pleading. Only complete compliance of the accused. Then it happened. Jesus spoke the words of forgiveness over his executioners. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. This was a different execution. No one had ever looked the centurion in the eye and forgiven him for his actions and the actions of others in the crowd. How was this Roman centurion supposed to square the world of execution that he knew with the scene that he had just witnessed? He could no longer embrace the world of Caesar's power, order of life, honor of Rome, and superiority of culture. He was conflicted between the power he possessed and the job that he loved and the life or death that he had seen in this man called Jesus. The centurion had seen another people, another religion, another truth, another response to life and death. In a moment of gross miscarriage of justice, the centurion met with forgiveness and peace offered to those who carried out this horrific death. He had encountered the Son of God. The Roman government, with all its power, could not block the sun, shake the earth, and restore life to death, life from death. He, this world beyond the reality that the centurion knew challenged the truth on which he had built his entire life. The centurion could no longer serve both the power of Rome and the power of God to whom he had just been introduced. Power for the centurion was no longer found in military might and political empire. Power was found in the ability to trust and surrender. To surrender and trust to a higher power that we know to be God and the love that God offered to all was the greatest noble power that exists. This power defeats the power of the world. People were no longer defined for the centurion by, by the power they wielded. People matter to God, but people don't matter more than God. When people of power, culture, and clad collide, choices have to be made. To break with relationship and that comfortable and treasure of the people in our lives, a void is created. However, this void is filled with a faithful relationship that loving experiences that surpasses all understanding. Many were the passions that were present on Golgotha. The Jews were passionate about the preservation of their place. Romans were passionate about their power and control. Raw passion fully freed from the cross. Yes, passion of a dying man, but more importantly of a love for humanity that was unmatched in history. Passions. Those emotional bonds that shape our worldview changed on Golgotha for the centurion. Passions were no longer determined by pleasure, wealth, property, and possessions. Passion was defined by the love for God and a love for people that are the hallmarks of Christian passion. The past is the foundation on the present, on which the present and future are built. Understanding these experiences create a pattern of truth. The past is fact for the centurion and it no longer determined life and identity. Christ became the foundation on which the centurion could build a new perspective on life. His place in life had changed 
after witnessing Jesus' crucifixion. He no longer fit into his previous life after meeting Jesus. It no longer made sense. The safe confines of who he knew himself to be and the circumstances by which he lived his life shifted a bit on Golgotha. Now that his life had interacted with the life and death of Jesus, it would become entwined with the relationship to him and with him. Now the centurion's personal identity may or may not have changed after meeting Jesus. We really don't know what happened to him. However, what we do know is that he experienced a radical change in what it meant to be a power, a man of integrity, honor, and courage. Hopefully, his future was transformed by the interaction with Jesus. Everything the centurion knew about the world, himself, his circumstances, and his position, shifted when the world of his present collided with the world of his present. This collision and the choices that followed could shape the future of the centurion and everyone present at the foot of the cross. That same collision happens for each one of us when we encounter Jesus. The individuals we were collides with the person that we can become. Jesus offers us a new truth, a new pathway, and a new perspective once we meet the man who truly is the Son of God. What did the future hold for the centurion? Imagine with me a moment what could have been the end of the story. The centurion was halfway through a a delicious dinner and delightful conversation with the ship's captain when one of his men knocked on the door. This better be important. Sir, it's one of the prisoners. He, He said he knows you and asked to talk to you. You interrupted my dinner for that. No, sir. Then what? He said, you, uh, he said that you've been looking for something and he knows where you can find it. I told him he was crazy and that I wouldn't interrupt your dinner for that. Then he said to tell you, the dead come back to life. Instantly, images of a long-ago crucifixion flooded the centurion's mind. Take him to my quarters. I'll be there in a few minutes. The centurion finished his meal and, and thanked the captain and went to his quarters. When he got there, there was a prisoner who waited calmly for him. He was small and balding. His beard was gray and and his eyes were tired. I'm Julius, centurion of Augustan cohort, announced the soldier. I'm Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the man you crucified. It all flooded back. The execution of the teacher was unlike anything ever experienced. The event of those few days had shaken him to the core. He had been there when they arrested Jesus. He was, he was ready for a fight when one of his followers attacked the temple guard. The teacher healed that wounded man. Then took the teacher to, he then took the teacher to the Jewish council, then Pilate, then to Herod, and then back to Pilate. The prisoner was scourged within an inch of his life. and He had, he had, to, he had laughed when one of his men had braided a crown of thorns and jammed it on the prisoner's head draped an old robe on the soldier and paraded this man in front of the crowd proclaiming king of the Jews. He had led the procession to the fortress of Antonio, to Golgotha, and then made sure the beating, the walk of the cross, and the execution was carried out with great professionalism and skill. He saw it again and again in his nightmares. The procedure was always the same. 
The two thieves that were crucified with the prisoner cursed and carried on, but the teacher carried his cross without complaint until he collapsed and a bystander was forced to pick it up. The teacher did not curse the Romans or rail against the crowd. While the soldiers gambled for his robe, the rabbi made sure that his mother was cared for and, and asked his God to forgive the executioners. It made no sense. The centurion couldn't figure it out. It had bothered him. When the teacher died, the sky grew dark and the earth shook. The soldier heard himself say, This man is innocent, the Son of God. He recognized the face on the shock of his fellow soldiers, but the center of his being, he knew it was true and just as quickly put the thought aside. He did his job. He placed Pilate's insignia in wax to seal the tomb. Later he heard that this prisoner had come back to life. He didn't believe it. He had questioned the soldier who had guarded the tomb. They had not fallen asleep, but they were paid to lie. Yet the tomb was empty. A revolution of his followers took, shook the foundation of the Roman civilization. Now I remember you, the centurion told the man before him. But you weren't one of his followers. What was it they called you? Oh yes, the terror of Tarsus. You worked for the Jewish leaders. Yes, the Sanhedrin. Yes, you were the exterminator-in-chief. You had one of them stoned. I can't remember his name. Stephen. Yes, Stephen. Pilate didn't want any trouble with the Jews, so you got away with it. That's right, said Paul. But I really didn't get away with anything. So what are you doing here, asked the soldier. It's a long story. I'm one of his followers now. I took his message throughout Asia Minor and Greece. They arrested me. You defend, I defended myself before Felix and two years later before Festus and Agrippa. I'm a Roman citizen, so I appealed to Caesar. The two men sat in silence. Finally, the centurion spoke. You said you were looking for something. That's right. Well, what is it? You're looking for an answer that will bring you peace. It took every ounce of control for the sol- that the soldier could muster to maintain his stoic exterior. He had, a mom- he had not had a moment's peace since the day of the execution. His declaration that the man on the center of the uh, cross was the Son of God was at odds with everything he believed and valued, but it was true. How did you know that? the centurion asked. My God told me, said Paul. So if it's true, and I'm not saying it is, Where can I find what I'm looking for? Where you lost it. At his feet. You can't live in two worlds, my friend. Either Jesus is true and the divine Lord, or Nero is. You will never have peace until you give yourself in to what you know to be true. You saw it on that day. He died. I saw it on the road to Damascus. The old soldier sat on the edge of his bunk, rested his elbows on his knees, his face in his hand, and absentmindedly stroked his chin and rubbed his eyes. The old Jew was right. He had spent long years trying to escape what happened that day and the truth he could not deny. So, what do I have to do? His voice betrayed what he would not let his face show. Simple. Repent and believe. He's your Savior and my Messiah. He's the Lord, not Nero. I'll think about it. Haven't you thought about it long enough?
It plagues me, it's true. By the end of the voyage, I will decide. We'll talk again. Of course, I'm at your disposal. One more thing, sir. What? About the waiting. Before our voyage ends, the cargo and the ship will be lost and our lives will be at risk. How do you know that? Paul just smiled. Julius, the centurion of Augustus' cohort, the battle-scarred lion of the empire, sent the prisoner back to his cell. His valet helped him out of his armor, took it to be cleaned and polished. He stretched out on his bunk. The ship rolled gently in the waves, and he drifted into a deep and dreamless sleep. Now this fictional story about the centurion and the apostle Paul opens our imagination to what can happen when we open ourselves to the power of God's love demonstrated for us by Christ on the cross of Calvary. We all stand at the foot of the cross, at the spot where our worlds collide with the kingdom of God. We can ask ourselves this morning, what does our future hold? As followers of Christ, we know who holds our future. If you're struggling with within which world to serve, the altar is open for conversation at the foot of the cross of Christ with the one who forgives even his executioner. Come now. The wait is over. Let Jesus be the one you serve. As we come to communion this morning, let us come for a conversation. Let us come knowing that that Jesus awaits us. Let us come this morning. And all are invited, even the centurion at the cross. All are invited to partake of this meal, to be redeemed, to be filled with Christ's love. This table does not belong to Good Shepherd United Methodist Church. It does not belong to to the United Methodist Church. It belongs to Christ. And all are welcomed at the table. Let us pray. Holy and awesome God, we come to you this morning knowing that we are broken, knowing that we are not worthy to partake of this meal that you offer. But Lord, we also come knowing this morning that, that we are a forgiven people, that when we lift our brokenness to you and confess our sins and seek to live in peace with one another, we can come and be filled with the meal that you prepare for us. Lord, in the few minutes of silence that follows, let us lift those things to you which keep us away. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer, and we thank you for the meal that you have prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. We're coming to a time in in uh, our Christian season where, where we, we read over and over again of the story of Jesus in the Passover meal. We also know that, that it was different for all, all those Jewish men and women who sat around the table and, and that they did not understand exactly what Jesus was doing. But Jesus took the bread that night and he, he blessed the bread and he broke that bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he turned to the to the cup of and he said, cup of blessing, and he said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
in those few simple acts was mighty power that God has called us to participate in. Let us pray. Holy and awesome God, we ask that you fill us that are gathered here this morning with your spirit, that you get, that your spirit fills this, this bread and this wine, that it may be for you the body of Christ that has been redeemed by your blood. We ask you, Lord, that, that as we are filled with this meal, that we go into the world to share your love with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If those who are helping me this morning will come forward. the table awaits. We do have gluten-free options. Uh, we will serve by intention this morning. They will take a piece of bread, hand it to you, and you will dip it in the cup. But we do have individual offerings if you're not comfortable with that. Come now.
Shelby, come with us to officially join the church this morning. They, they've been with us for about a year now. And uh, Austin, for those of you who don't know, is our, our uh, youth director and communications guru. Uh, so we officially welcome them. They both come transferring their membership from other United Methodist congregations. Manchester, Winchester, I always get those two cities mixed up, Winchester and Brentwood, uh, United Methodist Church. And we, since you're coming... You, Born and bred United Methodist, uh, grown up in the church, uh, uh, you know the vows, but I'll ask you one uh, question as you come to join this congregation. Will you be loyal to this congregation of the United Methodist Church and uphold it with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? All right. Well, thank you. Uh, welcome, to the, welcome to the family officially. Thanks for being here. All of you, as, as, uh, as we go on, uh, uh, welcome Austin and Shelby into the ranks of the Good Shepherd family. Let's pray together. Holy and awesome God, we give you thanks this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for new membership among us, and we thank you for what you're doing at Good Shepherd. Lord, as, as you do these things, call us to be your hands and feet so that as we go into the world, we may show your love to others. Amen. Go with God. You're dismissed. Shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Come after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down. Come after me. There's no shadow. 
Oh, I'm coming up. 